a good move. Why you dancing? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden, an Aqua Teen Hunger Force exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through and talking about every Aquadonk side piece, one side piece at a time. And the Aquadonk we are watching through and talking about this week is Episode 7, Markula the Slumlord. It has nothing of what I advertised. It has no bathroom, no running water, no water to speak of, barely a pipe. Rent here and you will never make it out alive. Markula the Slumlord premiering April 24th, 2022, of course, over on YouTube and Adult Swim's website. And they are still up there today, so if you have not seen this side piece or any of them, then check them out. They're completely free to watch. They are about three minutes long, and they are very, very good. So this side piece is a little bit different than the other ones in that it's just named after Markula here, but it's actually about some other villains as well. So we have, of course, Markula, who we have not covered on the podcast yet, but he is played by Matt Malero, and he is a vampire, and he is the Aqua Teen's landlord. We will see him show up at the very beginning of Season 5. But we also have some returning classics, the Plutonians. We have the Plutonians interacting with Markula, and this is a very cool and exciting thing that they played around with, with the side pieces of getting to see these other characters interact who didn't normally interact on the show. And that's exactly what they're doing here, because Markula and the Plutonians never interacted in an episode of Aqua Teen before. Similarly to the Broodwrap Aquadonk, where we got to see Carl interacting with essentially the Broodwitch, because in the initial Broodwitch episode from season two back in 2003, Carl was not in that episode. We didn't see him at all there, so it was cool in that side piece to see Carl and the Broodwrap, and then same thing here, it's really fun to see Markula and the Plutonians. And I remember being surprised by that when this one premiered because I knew the Plutonians were coming. I was kind of keeping a list of all of the villains that we would expect to see coming back because they weren't announced really ahead of time. But Matt and Dave, they they left some clues for us. And I was like, all right, I know there's going to be some Markula. I know there's going to be some Plutonians. And then to see them both in the same one was very cool and just something different that we didn't normally get in Aqua Teen. So because of that... We have Matt Malero on this side piece as Markula, and then we have Andy Merrill and Mike Schatz as Oglethorpe and Emery. So worth mentioning here, you know, a little bit of exclusive info for you who are tuning into this Aquadonk side piece coverage as it airs is, as far as I know, this is still the last appearance of the Plutonians. Now, I announced recently that I got to do a line On the upcoming season of Aqua Teen, I posted that on Twitter, and then Andy Merrill commented on my post saying, wow, that's one more line than I've done on the current season. So unfortunately, I don't think that we can expect to see the Plutonians showing up next season. So for the time being, this will be the last Plutonian appearance. And trust me, I'm not happy about it. 
But who knows? You know, with today's technology, maybe they didn't need to book Andy to play Oglethorpe. Maybe, you know, they have so much of his of his vocal work, they just fed it into some AI thing. And who knows? Maybe the Plutonians will be in season 12 just without Andy's knowledge. I mean, that's a joke, but the sad fucking thing is, is like, that's actually not far off from the possibility. Anyways... Editing on Markula the Slumlord here, we have John Breston, and the reason I bring up the editor as always is they are kind of like the director, they are the ones who are kind of storyboarding this out, blocking it out, setting the pace of it, things like that. So John Breston here on the ones and twos for this side piece, what do you say we dive in? Opening our side piece as always, we had that little bit of music there, and then a character dancing. And the interesting thing about this one is that it's called Markula the Slumlord, but we have Oglethorpe here doing a little dance to that music. And he's packing a big, fat booty. You know, we just covered Space Kataz on the Patreon. And in Space Kataz, Oglethorpe and Emery, they moon the Moonanites at one point. And Oglethorpe, he had nothing of this caliber in that episode, so this is a new development that we will see, I'm assuming, at some point later in the show's run. At least in terms of of this asset of him (laughs) dancing around with a big fucking dumpy, big badonkadonk. But yeah, we had that music, which we now know it's credited as DJ AT&T's, which is supposed to be mocking the company AT&T, which I did not know until Nick Inkatanawat told us that in our interview, because Nick, he was using the, the fake name of DJ AT&T. So that music is Nick Inkatanawat. Now we know who did it. So... Jumping into the episode proper now, we open in on a very familiar site. We have the what used to be the Pizzapotamus building, first seen in Season 1, Episode 8's MCP Pants, and then seen again in Season 2, Episode 14's Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary. So we see that outside shot, and the interesting thing about this shot is that it seemingly is like the original old asset. It's not upscaled or anything, and this is very noticeable when the episode is in 1080p, so you'll be able to see very quickly once we go inside that the exterior shot is just very pixelated and low quality, and then when they go inside, it's sharper and what you would expect more from modern Aquatine. But that's not all we see. There's actually a few things here. So in the back, we have the Plutonian ship because we have the Plutonians in this episode and we see them trying to look into the building. And the way that they go about doing this is very funny in terms of the animation. It's literally just the Plutonian assets, their models, but their faces are removed. So that way you get the idea that this is their backside even though you can tell it's just them from the front, but without their faces. To the top right, we have the Pizzapotamus sign that was in the the previous two full Aquatine episodes that I mentioned. However, the word Pizzapotamus is removed. Now, we still see the Pizzapotamus there, who, of of course, is derived from the Hanna-Barbera character Peter Potamus, who, if you're a Harvey Birdman fan, you will recognize him because he's in that show as well. But yeah, we have Pizza Potamus up on the on the sign there with the pizza, but no words. And we'll get to why that might be later. And then last but not least, we see in kind of the foreground of the shot on the bottom right side, it says for lease 
10,000 square feet premium office space, which, of course, is great if you've seen Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary, the only episode up until this point where we've actually gone inside this building. So very funny because, you know, it's not premium space. This is very uh, a derelict and abandoned property. And then there, I don't know what it was supposed to say. It was supposed to say something Realty Group. But whatever the something was is replaced by uh, just a tape or a sticker or something with Markula written on it. So it's Markula Realty Group, and the phone number is 555-0102. And that 0102 is also taped over or stickered over or whatever of what the original phone number was. And this sign in the front here is not seen in the previous appearances of this building. So I reached out to Bob Pettit on this, Aqua Teen's longtime art director for the entire run of the original series and the first film. And you can find Bob over on Twitter at Pettit underscore art. Link in the show notes. In a way, Bob is kind of my co-author on this episode, this podcast episode, because he just gave me so much great information. And the first thing that Bob has to say about this episode is that he thinks that Nick Inkatanawat took the reference photo of this building. So he knows it was one of the PAs, or at least he thinks, and he's pretty sure it was Nick Inkatanawat. Of course, we just got done talking about Nick for doing the music on this episode, but uh, somebody, we're assuming Nick, snapped a shot of this building, and then Bob did it up in his own style. Bob says, I believe the building was on his way to work, maybe, and he saw potential, and potential there was, because this is just a classic exterior aqua teen shot so that is a lot to be said about a very short snippet of this aqua donk side piece but after that we get that establishing shot there and then we get kind of an interior shot where we have markula in bat form and he is wielding a, a crowbar half-life style and he's going to bust off one of the boards over the window. So then we can see the front side of the Plutonians, because like I said, they were trying to look into this building. And then the Plutonians somehow come in. We don't see them crawl through the window, but that's assumingly what they do. And, you know, in typical Aqua Teen style, the camera moves away from the window when that happens, so they don't have to animate that. But the, we have the Plutonians coming in, and it's revealed that they are looking at this property, and inside, it is really the exact same as we saw in Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary, you know, where Shake was trying to put on his concert with Zach Wilde, and it looks the same, except this is clearly a much higher definition asset, in that, you know, this is a higher fidelity episode than they made them back in 2003, and it just looks a lot nicer, but it still looks to be... You know, the same thing, just just a lot clearer. And inside, we will see a familiar face, the Tree Wizard, our classic Aqua Teen homeless man, who also first appeared in Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary, so a fun connection there, but, you know, typically voiced by Matt Malero. So we have the Tree Wizard laying on the ground, but then next to him is some other guy who I'm not sure who this is supposed to be, if this is somebody we will see later on the show I can't imagine they made this asset for this Aquadonk, so I'm sure we'll see whoever this is later, but he's just a, an orange-haired guy. His hair's kind of sticking out, but he looks noticeably cleaner than the tree wizard homeless man. He's not covered in urine, for example, but Markula's going to kind of shoo those guys out. Plutonians are going to come in, and Oglethorpe, he's going to like what he sees. Oh. <coughs> 
Boo, boo. Get out of here. Scary man, say boo. Well, I love it. This is exactly where we will launch the invasion of Earth, Emery. Dude, you just laid out the plan. I, I mean, where we will spend our weekend getaways. <laughs> We're not doing the Earth part. Contemplate that as your world burns. <laughs> So that is us getting a close-up shot of Oglethorpe's face, and his eyes are just burning red. He's, uh, obviously, <laughs> he gave away the big plans, but in his mind, he's being sly about it. So the idea here is that the Plutonians, they need a home base to pull off this invasion of Earth. Oglethorpe, he loves this spot. He thinks it's perfect, but Emery... He's not really he's not really buying it because Emery has a flyer here that was used to advertise this space and this flyer is titled Amazing Opportunity Pristine definitely has plumbing and electricity and then we see a picture of a nice park that we see in some later episodes of Aqua Teen. We see a rock climbing wall, we see a pool, and we see some people, I don't know if they're drinking wine or playing a board game, but we see those four images along with the title, that clearly aren't really uh, represented here in the actual space. So understandably, Emery's going to bring that up. Uh, where, where is this stuff? What stuff? Well, first off, this is not downtown Manhattan. <laughs> it's close enough. It's not even in the same state. No indoor rock climbing wall, no heated pool, no James Cook Award nominated sushi restaurant. Emery, slow your roll, dude. Clearly that stuff is hidden. Slow your roll, dude. Clearly that stuff is hidden. Okay, so as for that one image I couldn't make out, that's my bad. Emery says that it's supposed to be a James Cook award-winning sushi restaurant that I guess is supposed to be within the facility. So Bob Pettit had some things to say about this, and in fact, he hypothesizes why it is that Pizzapotamus might have been removed from the sign out front, where we have seen it the two other times that exterior shot was shown in Aquatine. So Bob says, Emery refers to a James Cook award-winning sushi restaurant in Marculus promo flyer. Apparently they couldn't use James Beard, or it could be an homage to the James Cook Medal for Young Adult Literature. Dave and Matt are both parents of teenagers. Markula must have taken the pizza word down because he pitched it as a sushi restaurant. Bob says, I would have scrawled in sushi like it was sharpied in. That's a fan-only Easter egg if there ever was one. <laughs> so Bob, I should say, he is not credited on the Aquadonks. He wasn't directly involved with them, but as we know, they clearly use his assets. They've used as they use assets here that he did. So in my opinion, kind of weird, maybe kind of wrong he's not credited here, but it is what it is. So Bob explains how, oh, maybe it was supposed to be a sushi restaurant. That's why Markula took down the, the Pizzapotamus name, although they still have the Pizzapotamus character up there with a pizza. But that certainly would make sense. The James Beard Award being a prestigious cooking award and like Bob pointed out, obviously they said James Cook in the episode, and that could be for a multitude of reasons. But I really like knowing that Bob gave us his insight of if I was involved in this episode and had access to contributing to the episode, that Bob, he would have scrawled in sushi on the sign. Back to our clip, though, there's a couple other assets I want to mention. So we have a few more of those flyers. They're in this little stand. 
that says take one. We also have a single plate out that has some muffins and some donuts on it. Very similar to me, again, to Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary when Shake is trying to uh, sell the house to pay off the Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary song. And, you know, the homeless man comes in and we have that whole fun scene. So, again, more reminiscence here of that, I think. And then there's a vase with some white flowers in it. So Bob clued me into the fact that these pastries and the vase are from previous episodes, although we aren't sure which ones. But of course, these are reused assets, which aren't exactly surprising here because it's an Aquedonk side piece. However, Bob points out that the flyer seems to be a new asset strictly for this side piece, which would make sense. It's just a sheet of paper, nothing too complicated. Jumping back into the side piece now, Markula is going to respond to Emery's complaint of the false advertising, and Markula, he's not going to sugarcoat it. It has nothing of what I advertised. It has no bathroom, no running water, no water to speak of, barely a pipe. Rent here and you will never make it out alive. <laughs> I bet he has another offer on it. We'll top it. Man, I don't think this is the right place for Captain us. Captain Negativity bringing me down. Why aren't you feeling this? <laughs> So Oglethorpe, again, he's just easily sold on this. And it's really fun to see these guys kind of in an episode of House Hunters where we're just seeing their dynamic here. Now, I don't know what their budget is. I don't know what's on their wish list, but seemingly Oglethorpe's wish list is not very complicated. And I would say Emery's isn't really either because he is justified and feeling misled by all of this. But kudos to Markula for just not sugarcoating it and, uh, if anything, you know, underselling it appropriately. This does not thwart Oglethorpe, though. He is all in on this, and he's going to go through and explain how they can use this space for exactly what they need. He's going to go through and kind of look around, and we'll see via his imagination all sorts of stuff that he's describing pop up in the scene. But then, again, Emery here being the voice of reason is going to explain how Oglethorpe, he's setting his sights a little high for this space. Over here, we will set up a breeding vat. By this fall, we will harvest the specimens, maybe put in some death lasers. It'll be bitching. Why aren't you smiling? Is something wrong? We need an outlet for the chamber pods. There's no power for a laser, and there's no room for half the shit you want in here. And what are, what are these? We'll get to what those are in a second there. I really like that voice kind of uh, stutter, break, whatever, that they included from Mike Shots for Emery. The shit you want in here. And what are, what are these? That little eh. Like, I can't imagine that's in the script. That's just something that Mike Schatz is bringing to the table for the very conversational, laid-back Emery. Although he's getting uncharacteristically worked up here, we can hear. And he's typically not like this. Usually he's just going with the flow. But I guess when it's also his money on the line, I assume, or at least he's a part of this mission, he can't just stand for this nonsense. But to speak of some of the items that Oglethorpe is envisioning, we see a few things here. I'm not going to try and dwell too much on them, but all of these are really returning assets from previously in the show. So first up, we see the breeding hydropods, and inside of those, it's funny, we see these little buff Oglethorpes, but they are wearing diapers and also 
they are different colors. So the first one is orange, like Oglethorpe, but then the second one is a magenta kind of color, and then the third one is a sort of blue, light blue, baby blue color. So kind of cool to see those, and I guess that kind of explains how the Plutonians replicate themselves via these hydropods. Not really sure there, but that's some interesting lore to think about. And those pods we've seen before, those are in colon movie film for theaters where that little little monster is inside of in Dr. Weird's loft. And likewise, we also see a control panel with lever that is also from Dr. Weird's loft. And thank you to Bob Pettit for that information, as well as Bob pointing out that we see an exam table with some sort of creature on it. I don't know where that creature is from. If that is from a later season episode or what. I'm not sure where that creature is from, but Bob clues us into the fact that the exam table is from season four, episode six's party all the time. The episode where Frylock is diagnosed with cancer. This is the exam table from that episode. And then we see another control panel that is just from the Plutonian ship. And then we see Death Blaster 3000s. Those pop up. And they are these magenta blasters. This seems to be a retooled asset from Season 2, Episode 11's Universal Remonster. In that one, I remember Oglethorpe, he presses a button and this, this ray comes down and blasts his eyes out. This is the same ray, it's just been modified uh, for this scene, I assume. But maybe this exact modification popped up in a previous episode. And lastly, we saw some monitors pop down. Bob mentioned that those are from a different episode. Bob had some hypotheses on where these are from, although I could not find them in the episodes that he listed. So if you know, let me know. But speaking of reused assets that we are familiar with, and again to Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary. At the end of our last clip, we had Emery asking what those are, and we're gonna see now, it is the Scorpions from Spirit Journey. Happy those are my attack scorpions. I should have warned you, but I didn't. So, do the scorpions come the scorpions with Scorpions do not come with a place. <laughs> So every time you hear that noise, that is a character with their eyes, like there's a flame in their eyes. And this time, again, it is Markula. It happened once before in the episode. And before that, it was Oglethorpe. I like this running joke within the episode. I don't think this is referencing anything else, at least not that I'm familiar with. As in like a previous Aqua Teen episode, surely it's possible they're referencing some other film or TV show with this. But it's it's fun. You don't I don't recall seeing this in any other Aqua Teen episodes, especially any other Aqua Donks. So a fun little uh, in-episode joke here. But we have the Scorpions. Of course, this time they are not voiced. And I confirmed with Dave Willis, if you listen to that interview, that John DiMaggio does indeed voice the Scorpions in that episode. Not here, of course. They didn't bring John back. But they don't do a lot here. They're just kind of doing uh, some default song here. We heard that was Dave Willis singing Happy Birthday. But just a fun little addition of these really silly characters here, even though they don't talk or anything like that. But that's really what Aquadonk was and what it was trying to be was fan servicey, something for the fans that I don't think people quite appreciated for what it was because it was kind of a counterbalance to Plantasm, which didn't have a whole lot of fan service. Both of these coming out in 2022, of course, Aquadonk being the series of 10 shorts and then Plantasm being the full-length film. People hated on Plantasm for being so different, but... Of course, people didn't understand if they were hating on that. 
they probably weren't podcast listeners because we went in knowing what Plantasm was going to be, which was a standalone film, while we had these Aquedongs here being very fanservice-y, very recycly of, is that even a word, recycly, whatever, of previous Aquatine episodes. So I'm appreciating what it's doing here. It's very fun. Back to the Scorpions, though, it's funny because previously in this Aquedonk, we did get some shots of the stage, and the Scorpions weren't there, but now suddenly they just are, even though, you know, I don't suspect that they came out or anything like that, so always fun when, when we catch little mistakes like that. So up until now, it's been kind of this fun little House Hunters episode, but we're about to get into some real shit, because as it turns out, Markula... He's racist. Come on, Emery. Have vision, man. Why can't you see that it's perfect? It's not perfect. <laughs> and also, I am very racist against you and you, but especially you, whatever you are. We're Plutonians, and we're very peaceful people, unless you piss us off. <laughs> then the shit gets real. I do not want to rent here. And I don't want to rent from this guy. So we had Markula. He said, I'm very racist against you. He points at Emery. And then he says, and you. Points to Oglethorpe. Then he says, and especially you. And goes back to Emery. So it's funny here, especially because Oglethorpe and Emery are the same race. Even though I guess they're different colors. So maybe Markula just doesn't like green. I'm not really sure. But I do enjoy the way that he is racist towards the Plutonians. But he's fine with like the Aquatines, for example. <laughs> Markula's fine with the Plutonians, who, as we heard in Season 1, Episode 6's Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto, they are a clean race because their excrement is soap. Uh, but then somebody like Meatwad, who's a rotting ball of meat, he's alright. Markula is incredibly blunt, though. I mean, not only with admitting that his promotional material was just all bullshit, but also just admitting to the guys that he is racist to that he is racist towards them. I suppose being over 4,040 years old, you stop caring what people think about you so much. And uh, I guess that goes into why he's a slumlord to begin with. And I should mention here, if you're unfamiliar with the term slumlord, it is a derogatory term towards shitty landlords, which is exactly what Markula is and exactly who my family rented from for over 20 years. Now, it wasn't Markula, but, uh, you know... There, there were some similarities. I am a big House Hunters fan, all right? I've been watching it for well over a decade at this point. I've seen it all. I've seen all sorts of craziness, all sorts of silliness, but I can't say I've ever seen the couple have a heart-to-heart -heart about potentially breaking up on the show. I've seen <laughs> some couples come close, but never to the degree that we are about to see here. Emery, maybe it's time we live apart. We want different things, man. It's time I live alone, pay my own bills, fix my own food, like a real big man does. Okay, dude, that, that's cool. I don't want to live away from you, Emery. You called my bluff. I <laughs> we just learned a lot there. So I guess Emery basically takes care of Oglethorpe, which isn't surprising when you hear about it. And you know that these guys go back a very long way. We've seen bits and pieces of it throughout Aquatine, specifically back to the Colin movie film for theaters, where we learned how they went to college together. They've known each other a long time. So they have a history, and we had a moment of Oglethorpe saying, you know, maybe 
the way that I've grown my life, the the position I find myself in, maybe I've just gotten complacent. Maybe this isn't really what's best for me. Maybe I should kind of break off here and be my own person. And Emery very quickly is like, all right, man, that's fine. And I'm sure if you're Emery, you're, you're a little tired maybe of having to, for example, fix Oglethorpe's meals, kind of take care of him, be his uh, parent, his, his uh, partner throughout life in this way. Maybe Emery wants to try something else, and he is just very nonchalantly like, all right, if that's what you want. He's not, it doesn't even seem like Emery is necessarily even for this, I should say. I shouldn't put, I shouldn't project onto him. He just seems like, look, if that's what Oglethorpe is ready for, then that's what we should do. But then <laughs> Oglethorpe, in a complete 180 and a complete Aquatine moment of having this heartfelt moment and then just quickly reneging on it, where. <laughs> Oglethorpe's like, no, you called my bluff, which isn't really even what happened. But it's so funny here that Oglethorpe seemingly, uh, he maybe was trying to emotionally manipulate Emery into agreeing with him to get this place. I don't know what's going on here, but you know what? I don't think these guys do either. Visually, we have Oglethorpe hugging Emery too. He runs up and hugs him. He's got tears in his eyes and everything. It's just so great. It's a, a really fun moment. And that moment is quickly broken because we will have Markula again in his bat form, and he's gonna drop a duke right on Oglethorpe's head. <laughs> have you made a decision? Do you have any other properties that we can look at? Legally, I'm forced to say yes. <laughs> so that's kind of going to the uh, whole racism aspect. Uh, it was just funny because... Markula straight up admitted it, but I guess I guess he can admit it. He just can't withhold properties from them. So what he did wasn't illegal. It's just weird that he would say that. But again, when you're Markula's age, you don't really give a shit anymore, I have to assume. And I really like the way that they kind of move the scene along with we have that funny, heartfelt moment kind of turned on its head, but then you just have Markula taking a shit on Oglethorpe and bringing it back to the plot point of the episode because they only have three minutes to play with here you know I mean they have to keep things moving they can kind of dwell in these moments for a second but then they have to keep it going and I was surprised when I asked Dave about this if, if they found this difficult to make these very short webisodes and he said no I wish I would have asked Matt maybe I should at some point uh, just get his take on it because I know historically when they make an Aqua Teen episode, they make the script longer than it needs to be, and then they, they edit it down and trim it down to fit into the 11 minutes. So with an Aqua Donk, I have to wonder if they kind of ran into the same issues. Not really sure. It's a question we'll hopefully get an answer to in the future. But in the meantime, let's jump to our final clip of Markula the Slumlord. We're about to see the second property that he's going to be showing the Plutonians. And it's not the Aquatines' house. It's actually the cave that the Aquatines are held in for the first three episodes of season five. We have Emery and Oglethorpe. They are in the same spider web that the Aquatines were stuck in for those three episodes that they are not really in. Of course, on the podcast feed, as this episode comes out, we are about to start season four, so we're not quite there yet, but it's possible you've seen one of those episodes and you know what's going on here. So they're going to be down in that cave and we're going to see Markula, to my knowledge, in a new form. I went back and checked out every Markula episode up until this point and we only ever saw him in his bat form and his normal form where he's just kind of like a humanoid form. But the new form here actually explains season five 
And the new form is Markula as a spider, and it's his head on a spider's body. And this spider's body, very clearly a retooled asset from the MCP pants spider body. Now, there's no diaper on this. It's a different color scheme, but you can tell it's the same kind of asset here. It's the same arms and everything, just in a different color. So we have Markula as a spider, and that is going to directly tie into the very end of the episode. I mean, you know how Aqua Teen likes to end with some crazy moment or whatever, and that's what happens here. We have the Plutonians up in that spider web, and then at the end, they're just kind of kind of burst open with a flood of little spiders coming out of them. It's a little tight, but I like it. The units are extremely small down here, but it has a wonderful view of that rock. <laughs> have you checked out the schools in the area? I hear they're very good. Yeah, we don't have kids, so... You're about to. <laughs> Release the brood. Oh, no. <laughs> So that is the end of Markula the Slumlord. And I really like, I think it's a really tight end to the episode because in the early season five episodes, it kind of like, if you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they're stuck in a spider web. And now all these years later, we're seeing why, because Markula can also turn into a spider, I guess. So they're kind of answering that somewhat of a question. But then it ties into how to end the episode with just, of course, something bursting out of one of the characters. I mean, it's not the first time they've done it. We had that same idea in the very third episode of Aqua Teen, Bus of the Undead, where Moth Monster Man lays his eggs inside of Carl. Similar situation here. I mean, they've done it so many times. And guess what? It's great every time. So that's really it to the episode, Markula the Slumlord. An episode, truthfully, that I didn't really care about before covering this, but now, as usual, when we go over every moment from these things, I grow to appreciate it more. Now, with all of these Aquadonks, there's always the topic of how does this one work as a short? Should it have been shorter? Should it have been longer? Is it good as is? I think this one really works as is. As a three-minute thing, I think they do everything that they need to. So I'm not sitting here thinking, like, wow, I really wish this one was longer. Or in the case of, like, the Moon Knight one, wow, this one probably needed to be longer to land. I think this one works as is. However, of course, really with all of these, I would like to see it longer. Like, I think it would have been fun if Markula maybe showed them the Aqua Teens house, and then we saw the Aqua Teens at some point, you know? I'm not somebody who needs the Aqua Teens in these shorts. I think they work without the Aqua Teens. But, you know, when this was the first thing that we got after, you know, several years of not having the Aqua Teens, would have been cool to include them in some way, even as just a little cameo. But with that having been said, I really do think that this short worked. More so than I thought it did the first time. The first time, I remember feeling like it was a little too shoehorned of having these two big characters, and I guess technically three, because I mean the Plutonians and Markula, in one episode. But really digging into it now, I think that it works, I think that it plays, and I really did enjoy it. And I like that we got to go back to Pizzapotamus. I mean, it's such a fun place. Uh, Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary is one of my favorite episodes of Aqua Teen, if you watch my ranking series on YouTube where I'm going through and ranking every episode and every season, Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary lands quite high for me. So I like coming back here. And same thing with MCP Pants. That's also one of my top favorite episodes of Aqua Teen. So this location has a special place in my heart. 
The Plutonians are some of my favorite villains. Markula, we haven't gotten to him on the podcast proper yet. Now, we've touched on him, but we haven't really gotten to him yet. But I really liked him here, and it's fun him just straight up being blunt. Like, yep, this this property has nothing that I said it would. Uh, Also, I'm racist against you. Like, I like that he isn't trying to lie to them about anything here. He's straight up just giving them the business. And by the business, I mean laying his eggs, I guess, inside of the Plutonians. Now, this is completely crazy because Markula is supposed to be a vampire. And now also he's a spider, but it's Aqua Teen. What are you going to expect? So my ranking on this one, I think I got to give this episode four hydropods out of five. Still not one of my favorite aquadonks, but one that I really did grow to enjoy while covering it here. One that I think is very smart and that has some great moments. I, I really do think that there are some standout moments here, particularly the scene with the <laughs> Emery and Oglethorpe and that heartfelt moment with Oglethorpe there. I thought that was brilliant and that was worth the uh, you know price of admission alone to this episode. And the price, of course, being free, because again, these are all on YouTube. You can all watch them for free, and they're also on Adult Swim's site. So that's really all I have to say about this one. Very fun. Love these Aquadonks, especially when I'm in a pickle here. I went to a friend's bachelorette party this weekend, so I didn't have enough time to jump into season four here. You might be asking, Ronnie, what are you doing at a bachelorette party? That is for women, let me tell you. Somebody had to make sure that those ladies didn't start girl bossing too much. And you know what? You're welcome for my service. So always a pleasure to jump into these whenever we do. And my plan is to jump into season four, episode one's Dirt Foot next week. So until then, thank you to Bob Pettit for his help with this episode. Again, you can find him at Pettit underscore art on Twitter, link in the description. And also a huge thank you to all of the Moonmasters, the patrons who support this podcast over on patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden. You know, we have our Highlander, Nick. There can be only one! As of this recording, there's only one podcast episode really covering Markula, and there's only one Nick. And of course, shout out to our number one in the Hood G tier patrons, Sean, Ian, Captain Buford, Robison, Jason, Carl, Lecheratone69, Empower706, SwimWiki, and Carson. You guys can tour any of my derelict properties any day of the week. I'll see you next week when we're jumping into Season 4. Keep it cool. Take it easy. Bye-bye. And we're very peaceful people unless you piss us off. Then the shit gets real!